Hello and welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about VAR and ISV marketing with two special guests who are among the most popular speakers at this year's Retail Now conference. Jeremy Julian is a Chief Operating Officer for CBS Northstar, a reseller and software developer based in Southern California. Jeremy is an RSPA board member and is the co-host of the popular podcast, The Restaurant Technology Guys. Jeremy is a frequent panelist and speaker at industry events, including his Retail Now 2019 talk titled, Win More Business by Selling 24 by 7 by 365 with Marketing Automation. Hey, Jeremy, great to be talking with you again. Thanks for having me, Jim. Sure. Always a pleasure. Uh, and we're also joined today by James Cordy. He's the manager of digital strategy at Distributor Blue Star, where he heads up the company's Appware Solutions end user lead generation program and content creation program. James co-hosted a presentation at Retail Now 2019 titled Find Your Niche, Content Marketing for a Unique Audience. And we're recording this interview soon after Blue Star's VarTech conference, where James and I worked on a marketing panel together. So, James, I'm happy to see you again, and I hope you're not sick of me. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Excited to be here. Great. Hey, before we get to our questions, just a note to our audience. You might be asking, so why are we featuring two guests instead of a more traditional one-on-one -on -one interview? Well, here's why. The biggest strength of the RSPA is the community and the partnerships that can be forged, and sometimes where you least expect them. So what we're going to do on many episodes of The Trusted Advisor is show the RSPA community in action by having guests share their unique perspectives and see where the conversation takes them. That's what happens every day among RSPA members, and we thought it would be interesting to share that with you. All right, let's rock and roll. Uh, so my first question for you guys is I want to start with two key principles that each of you shared at Retail Now that I think are really going to help our audience. Jeremy, one thing you said in San Antonio is really stuck in my head. You said, value, value, sell. That's what your marketing message cadence should be. Can you share with our audience what that means in general and specifically to your company as a VAR and ISV trying to sell to merchants? Value, value, sell. Well, and I know, Jim, you, you and I talked about it both after the panel, or I mean, after the presentation that I had made, and I've, I've talked, with, uh, talked with you and Chris Arnold about it just as it relates to the RSPA, but, you know, um, time is one of one of the one of our most valuable resources, if not our most valuable resource. And um, if if every time that you get an email from somebody that that is sending you something, all they're doing is trying to sell you sell you a product, sell you a service, sell you something, you're going to start to turn that off because it's not nearly as valuable as something that that is coming in where you built trust with your audience. I'm a huge, huge, huge Seth Godin fan. Seth Godin talks about, you know, in his book, his book Permission Marketing, and, you know, he's, he talks about it constantly on his blog, but it's really just how do you get the trust of the audience so that when you go to speak with them, they are going to listen to what you have to say? And so if all you're doing is standing there with a megaphone on the street corner saying, you know, come in, you know, beers are two for one, beers are two for one, beers are two for one, you know, you might consider that value, but it's not really value. All you're doing is trying to sell them. Whereas, especially in our industry, if you're delivering value to those, those clients, Things that they might not know about their system, might not know about the industry, might not know about legislation, might not know about something else that's going on to help them 
operate their business more efficiently, whether it be a grocer, a retailer, a restaurant, continue to add that value. And now they trust you and they're going to listen to the message that you might have. Once we've built that trust, the idea of value, value, sell, um, and we'll talk more about it in the rest of the conversation today, but you shouldn't have just a, a single email. You need to have multiple emails and you need to be talking to people every day, every week, every month, you know, whatever your, your strategy is, you need to be talking to them on a constant basis, but you need to definitively be giving value to that customer before you ask them to hand over their hard earned money to you for a product or service that you have. And so I know that was a long winded way to say, what is value value sell, but just continue to offer value to those customers. And there's a multitude of ways that you can continue to add value to what they're doing. Right, and I always say marketing is a lot like dating. You know, somebody just doesn't walk up and say, you wanna go out with me, right? There has to be some, uh, you get to learn the person first and you get to learn each other and say, oh, do I like this person? They have a good personality, do we get along? And that's some of the value exchange before it's, okay, I'd like to ask you to, to go to dinner with me. That's exactly, I mean, and that's, that's again, I, I think it's kind of funny that, that you bring up a personal analogy, but it, it's very, very true of, you would never walk up to somebody at a bar and ask them to marry you or ask them to go out and, and buy you, you know, dinner at Ruth Chris, you're going to, to start a conversation and, and now let's build trust before we take it to the next level. And I think in this, in this hyper-competitive world where people are constantly getting, getting bombarded with hundreds of messages every single day, getting a trusted place in their inbox is a huge part of what you're doing. And, and I, I know James, you and I were talking yeah. before we hit record of just kind of what does content marketing do and how do you, how do you build that trust with your audience? Yeah. James, what yeah. does value value sell mean to you? So hundred percent agree with, uh, with what Jeremy said. And I've, I've also heard value value sell call uh, jab, jab, right hook, which yeah. I'm somewhat partial to exact same concept. And like Jeremy said, it's about becoming known first and foremost, uh, hopefully liked secondarily and then trusted lastly. Yep. And uh, I've got a great example. So I've got a good friend who uh, about 14 months ago opened a fly fishing shop. So a brick and mortar location after about two years of just having, you know, purely service that people could book online. And, um, you know, one of the things I advise him on is Brad, you have to find a way that you can be in touch with these people and add value to them before you ask if they're interested in buying a new rod or going on a trip with you. Brad does things like local fishing reports. So once a week, he'll send out local fishing reports to you know all the fisheries, the wateries uh, around Toledo area, which is where he happens to be. Uh, he runs contests where people can win you know uh, free lures, custom lures, things like that. He puts on free fly tying classes in his location. So he's bringing people in, they're getting a look at the new Patagonia gear, but they're also getting some value. They're, you know, they're walking out of there with new fly lures. So uh, I think that's just a really great example of, of that principle at play, which is find a way to be relevant in these folks' lives, like you said, without just standing there asking for the sale every day. Um, Gary V is actually, I believe, the one that coined the jab, jab, right hook. Um, that's the way that he refers to it. And his deal is he's adding value every single day, very kind of tactical and practical um, marketing advice is what I call it. And then once a year, once every two years, he'll publish a book. And that's always his big right hook is to say, hey, I've been educating you guys. I've been engaging you guys with everything I've got. If you could do me this solid and, and uh, you know, return the favor by going and purchasing my new book, help me get on the bestsellers list. So big fan of that and complete 100% with, uh, with what both of you guys had to say. And so didn't Got I just, uh, just just give you that book referral just the other day, Jim, when we were talking yeah. about, you know, I, 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 I look, I've got it. I've got it on my bookshelf behind uh, behind the monitor here, actually. Love that book. Yeah. For those of you watching on video, just bought Crushing It by Gary Vee. Uh, yep. So I'll be I'll be diving into that soon, helping him move up the bestseller list. 
No, that's excellent. We didn't plan that. That's fantastic. <laughs> hey, uh, and so that was value, value, sell. That's, again, a big takeaway I had from Jeremy um, at retail now. And so, James, I've seen you speak many times, and I know that you practice and preach that marketing starts with a target audience. So just like I asked Jeremy, can you share with our audience what defining your target audience means from a marketing best practice standpoint, and then specifically for VARs and ISVs selling to merchants? Sure. That seems to be a big takeaway of yours. Sure. I mean, the way I think about it is if I walked into a room, um, you know, whether it's office, you know, the office or at work or personal, I want to know who I'm talking to before I decide what I have to say. It seems like one of those obvious things. You know, I feel like sometimes marketing is really advanced common sense. Know who the heck your audience is before you determine what you have to say to them. Um, but specific to VARs and ISVs, what I have found in, in executing some of the end user campaigns we've done is that there are kind of two distinct groups. People either um, categorize themselves as a general type solution provider or specialty, meaning they're truly built for a niche market um, and they understand that business well, or they say we're a retail point of sale system. And my feeling, my strong feeling is, even if the reality is you're kind of a, you know, let's just call it non-robust generalized solution that can fit a lot of, you know, verticals, sub-verticals, what have you, there is still work to be done on defining that target market. And that could be anything from geographical limitations. You know, are you able to serve a nationwide audience or are you, you know, regional or even, you know, confined to kind of your city and, and surrounding areas? Uh, what size businesses uh, is your solution capable or, or your services capable of uh, taking on? Um, you know, and then taking a look at your existing customers. So looking deeply at that and saying, who do we usually win with and why do we think that it is? And there are a number of other things, but I just want to make the point that Almost never when we are uh, executing marketing campaigns is there success when we just say, let's go after retail, let's go after hospitality. We have to get more specific. And so my advice is to think hard about what is your uh, product market fit. And I come to find, especially with newer companies, but even in some more mature companies, they don't really have the data to support some of that. And, and I think um, we'll get into some of that later, but I have some advice on how you know, running paid advertising uh, experiments can really help you kind of validate or invalidate some of those assumed markets. But yeah, definitely dig into what you know about uh, your existing customers and then think hard about where you fit, even if it isn't in a bunch of sub-verticals. Yeah, it's hard to market selling stuff to people, right? You have to narrow it down uh, far more. Jeremy, can you talk about target audience? Can you walk us through how does CBS define its target audience? So I, I actually use it, use the phrase, figure out who your avatar is, figure out the avatar and all of your content. I need to have that avatar in mind and it needs to be almost as specific as possible. Avatar meaning like your little character that you have in a video game or your character that you have on on social media or whatever. Who is that avatar? And you can have multiples to James's point. I could be talking to the, to, in retail, I could be, I could have an avatar of the single unit operator that sells, you know, fishing gear. And I could have, you know, another sub vertical and another sub vertical if you've got enough space to be able to, to do that content. But you've got to figure out who is your avatar and define them almost as finely as possible. You know, James brought it up. It's like, I want to be, targeting all of the donut shops in these 12 zip codes as my target audience. And the avatar is this, you know, this single family, you know, that, that operates one to two donut shops. You are going to be able to, to maximize your spend and maximize the value of that marketing 
you know, and it's very, very, very pinpointed with the content that you can deliver that's going to add the maximum value to that person in that vertical. If James's example of the, the fishing guy, if, if he went in and was doing the general retailers and, you know, the content is about tax rate updates for your point of sale system to general retail, that's not nearly as specific as how do you build a loyalty system to be able to know who your customers are as a part of your solution for this guy that's 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 running this this you know fishing um, outfit? And so for us, we've got specific sub verticals that we have figured out that says we do really well in casual dining environments where they have more than 20 stores, where they have more than a million and a half dollars per year in annual volume. I mean, it's to that level. Like that is how defined our business has gotten. And anything that's outside of that, we will take the business if it comes to us, but we are not marketing to it and we are not targeting to it. Is that, you know, and I, and I know I, I, I get on these rampages from time to time, Jim, but I, I think getting people to understand the, 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 the more finite you can make your target avatar, the better off you can define whether you're successful or not successful with what it is that you're you're trying to do with your marketing campaign. Uh, thanks. And James, I'm curious your take on what Jeremy just said, because you work with a lot of resellers. Do you get many that are that specific in terms of here's what I'm going after as opposed to I'll scramble and take whatever I can get because I want to make as many sales as I can? Um, I would say 15% of the ISVs that we work with or, or hybrids that we work with um, at, at least have a solution built for a specific audience. I still haven't met many that can go that deep to say this is the size. When we ask the question, they can usually get there either almost immediately or they get back to us and say, you know, we found that whatever, three to five locations or, or you know, five locations or, or below is really our sweet spot. Um, but usually they don't come to the table with that information. I'm always impressed when they do. And I did want to build really quickly on the idea of the avatar. Uh, I've heard it referred to as a buyer persona as well. I spent about 18 months at an ad agency between stints at Blue Star and my eight years here at Blue Star. Took a small, uh, small break, really great experience and learned a ton. But we were working on um, Procter & Gamble brands like Gillette and Downey. And they went as far when they developed those uh, avatars or the buyer personas to actually paste them up in the huddle rooms where the team would come together. And it was the North Star. Um, you know, no, no pun intended to your business name, Jeremy, CBS North Star. Right? I didn't mean that to play off your company. But uh, it was literally every piece that we create, we hold it up next to that and say, is this person interested in this? Does this answer their questions, fit their needs? And then to take it kind of a step further, and this is a slightly newer concept, but again, advanced common sense is, what about the committee around that person? And they, uh, I, I wanna say HubSpot calls it the buying committee. So if your target is a regional IT director, you know, he or she might be answering to a VP of IT, but also to a store manager in a retail sector. So when you're putting together content, whether it's an article or an ebook or a video, you're kind of thinking about that small group. Maybe some people are more focused on budgetary uh, considerations, some people more in the day-to-day -day benefits of a new solution. Um, so just wanted to make that point because I'm, I'm right there with you. It's something, and, and there are great resources out there. Um, if you Google, you know, buyer persona, a tool that you can go out there and it will prompt you. Uh, what are these people's pain points? What type of education level do they have? And like you said, it comes out finely tuned picture of who that target audience is. And I, again, would emphasize, go and look at your existing customers, interview them if you can, and then, you know, co combine that information with data you get from, you know, the results of running ads.
Yeah, I was I was just about to add, you know, the exact same thing of you get these questions, you are solving problems for your customers, your end users every day. What are those pain points and now push on that pain for the next sale, for the next sale, for the next sale. You at times, and, and again, I'm a huge Michael Hyatt fan, you don't drift to where you where you want to go. You set an intention and you decide, I'm going to go after multi-unit restaurants doing this kind of volume, you know, and that, that's our business and that's our avatar. Um, and then we have another avatar, it's cruise ships, you know, and, and, and we've got two or three verticals that we really, really target. And the messaging to the cruise ship is very different than the messaging to the multi-unit restaurant is very different to the reseller that's reselling our software solution. So can you build on that point, Jeremy, because that's the next thing I wanted to ask is I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this, a lot of VARs and ISVs, that's our, you know, our avatar for this in the retail IT space, are saying, well, I sell to multiple you know, audiences. Maybe it's not 20 different audiences, but maybe it's a handful of different ones. What steps should a VAR take if they have more than one target audience? What is most effective? And it sounds like there's some things that you've done. What, what, what advice would you give, Jeremy? So I would say take your take your take your revenue reports and figure out where's the biggest check coming from. <laughs> where's the biggest check and where are you making the most money? And then focus more of your energy there. You know, where are you finding the most success? And and unless it's an emerging market, you know, um, you say you were selling retail, retail point of sale, and now you're into CBD and CBD is a huge growth market for you. That's fine if, if it wasn't, you know, historically, but we we started to fall into this because we were finding that we were finding much more success with these people. But I have a revenue report that I look at once a month that says, who are our top 20 customers revenue generation over the last 12 months? And guess what? I focus my time and my energy on those people as a COO, as our CEO, you know, as our salespeople. It's like, make sure that you figure out what those guys are. And then I take and say, what are, what's a commonality behind these people? Now I look through those commonalities and say, well, guess what? They all meet the profile that I just, you know, kind of spouted off a little bit ago. Well, amazingly, we do well in this target vertical and we can continue to, to foster that success um, rather than trying to if you're going to change the vertical though, or if you're going to, to go after a different segment of the market, be pragmatic about it. Be pragmatic about it that says, you know, I'm gonna give it six months, I'm gonna give it 12 months, I'm gonna give it 18 months, and I'm going to spend X amount to go get that next vertical that I'm looking for. But for the most part, focus on that. I'll tell you a quick story on how this came about. We fell into a multi-unit um, amusement park family entertainment group that we were doing business with. They own water parks around the country and they found us through another customer um, and through a vendor partnership. And so how they found us. If, if you're going to stumble into a market, man, that's the one to do it. It sounds like where you can get the free passes. Well, and, and, and one would have thought that. But after three years of going to their IAPA show, come to find out we had a lot of success with one customer and we had gotten some nibbles on a second one you know, that, that had, had 20 stores and I mean, 20 amusement parks. Um, and we found, we got into one of their properties, but after three years of, of in that market, we still were taking care of the customers that we had, but we realized that there was a couple of other incumbents that were in that industry. And it was gonna require us to do a substantial amount of development work in order to penetrate the rest of that market and talk to the likes of Disney and Universal Studios and some of those other larger players there. And we talked with them and we evaluated and just said, you know what, this is not our core market. This is not where we're gonna find our best bang for a buck. 
let us let us redistribute these resources that were going to those for three years in a row or four years in a row. And it was a great run for us in that market, but it's not really our core customer. And it was distracting me, our operators, our salespeople from that. And we targeted that same exact resource back to the vertical that we served well and did it, did it incredibly well and, and it was better. So how many markets do you focus on right now? Well, we only focus on food service. That is, again, a change that we made. Yeah. We only do food service. Um, okay. And we only do restaurants that are food service. We don't focus on stadiums. We don't focus on cafeterias. We don't focus on, you know, corporate dining, any of those yeah. kind of things. It is restaurants. And, you know, we do work with Norwegian Cruise Lines as a client. They happen to have some restaurants on some of their cruise ships. And so that is a target market that we happen to fall into and now go to that show and have been working, you know, with Carnival and, and some of those other larger cruise lines. But for the most part, we focus on multi-unit restaurant vertical um, is kind of our core avatar. And it's the guy that owns, you know, the, the corporation that owns 20 stores or more. And it's even so far, James, to the definition that says we do better with ones that are corporately owned and operated rather than the ones that are franchised. The ones yep. that are franchised, our business model and our service model and our, you know, billing model and our reporting model doesn't work quite as well for that group as it does for this other group. That's yep. all through evaluating our customers and, and how they do business with us. And James, what's your advice on uh, VAR to VARs who serve several markets? Like how many audiences is too many? I was actually on a reseller's website recently. They listed 10 different niche verticals that they serve, ranging, they had stadiums, they had education, they had senior living centers and ski resorts. I mean, as much as I would love to see a marketing campaign mashing up senior living centers and ski resorts and just to see how they pull that off, it seems like sure. you can't serve them the same message. So what advice do you have for VARs? How many audiences are too many you know, markets to serve? Sure. How do they go about that? Well, I, I would start off by saying that in my experience in talking to some VARs and ISVs, the concern is that they are limiting their market. Well, if we don't say we could work here, then are we leaving money on the table? And I guess technically, maybe, but I also, to Jeremy's point, you're going to be less effective when your messaging is, is general. So, you know, I would say, first and foremost, if you don't truly know an industry and exactly what their pain points are to a point that was made before, um, you, that's, they're going to see through that. I think that a, a savvy consumer is going to know when you're just saying we work everywhere versus when you say, I know that these are your top five issues and here's how our product addresses them. So how many is too many? Um, I mean, I guess if I had to throw a number out there, I'd say you could probably for a you know, medium to larger size company really address five or six different markets. But that really depends on do you have the budget? And Jeremy, you mentioned trade shows. Jim, when we were just on a panel at Bartech, that was one of my key takeaways that panelists and the attendees agreed on, which is if you really want to get penetration in an industry or in a market, you should probably find that key trade show and show up and meet people in person. That's not, that's not inexpensive to do for five or six different industries. And that's just one of the touches. Then you're creating your blog articles, your eBooks, your videos, your nurturing tracks for your sales teams. So how many, how many resources do you have and what kind of budget can you allocate toward that effort? Uh, I think that kind of determines how many you can address. So if it's, I would say, you know, you start with your one, the one that shows up in the sales reports, Jeremy, to your point, and you create everything you need for the next, you know, 24 months to go after that well. And they, when you, you know, generating leads, your sales team knows how to become that uh, known, trusted, and, and hopefully liked resource. So, you know, I, again, I think it all depends on the resources you have, but that also, you truly have to have that knowledge. You know, when, when we go to our 
partners to work on a, a content marketing campaign, the first thing, one of the first things we ask them for is an outline. What should the title of our ebook be and what should the main point be? If you can't um, very, very quickly, you know, run that down for the market you're trying to address, then you probably don't know it well enough and you're probably not going to be successful in that area. Well, and, and as I was sitting listening to you talk, James, the biggest thing that I take away from it is also beyond marketing. Can I now execute the sale and the implementation and the service for that client beyond it? Right. Because if I can't do that, all of the marketing in the world and generating a warm lead from this industry, if I can't sell it, service it and support it going forward, then none of it matters because it doesn't turn yeah. into revenue. And if it doesn't turn into revenue, then it was just a waste anyway. That's great that you got 10,000 leads to the website, but if you can't service it or sell it, then none of it matters. True. Yeah, and it's uh, Dave Sobel. Jeremy, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. He was on a panel uh, that we did together at uh, at Vartex. So uh, and, Dave and is over right, on. Right? He's the guy. He was the guy from and uh, and and or Enable, maybe. I uh, no, he'd been at SolarWinds. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go, SolarWinds. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So he's been on the managed services side. The I always call it the other side uh, of the channel. And so he got to really experience uh, RSP Inspire and all the POS executives that were there. And there's always a, I don't want to say an inferiority complex sometimes because POS seems simpler than all these fancy installs that these MSPs are doing. I said to him afterwards, what do you think of the capabilities of these companies hanging out with them for a couple of days compared to the MSPs? How do they measure up with them? And he said, they could be generalists just like the MSPs, but they're too smart to do that. They're smart because they are focused on, like I said, retail, hospitality, or grocery, or independent grocery, or how niche uh, however you can get. And so just because somebody does all things doesn't make them smarter or better than you. Oftentimes, it's like you said, uh, James, more of a desperate thing in terms of I'm just trying to grab business where I can. It's not necessarily the strategy for success. There's a reason why they say the riches are in the niches besides the two words, two words rhyming. Yeah, and I can't help but to think when we're talking about this, and, and Jeremy, you made the point, it's not about marketing. Sometimes it's about the ability to actually sell. And I think sometimes it's not about marketing. It's about the reality, especially when it comes to software companies, of your product. Where does it actually fit? I mean, it might mean if you want to address specific niches, it might mean new features or, you know, limiting features and focusing in other places. So, you know, those things have to be kind of in alignment, you know, what the actual product does and where it shines and, and what you're highlighting in your marketing and, you know, the ability to close the sale. Got it. If we can pause here for a moment uh, so we can do some marketing to our listeners here uh, and let them know that an RSPA membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. The RSPA recently expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSPA members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, sales coach, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which for resellers starts at just $250 a year. That's 68 cents a day for those high value services. This is the sell part of the value, value sell. Uh, without an RSPA membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel, or you'll end up going it alone to these turbulent times in our industry. For more information, visit GoRSPA.org. And don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2020, August 2nd through 5th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Retail Now is where the industry meets. All right, so if we did the value, value, sell, we ought to get back on the value part of it now. Uh, and let me ask you, uh, James, if you can start with this. Um, marketing with a purpose. Like oftentimes when I talk with folks about marketing, they start talking about the activities or the tasks. But it seems like, 
especially with social media, like companies shouldn't just do social media. Let's do Twitter. Let's be on Facebook. The activities need to be connected to a goal. So can you talk about the importance, and we touched on this earlier, of aligning sales and marketing to make sure that folks are marketing with a purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I think uh, makes a ton of sense, and it's a pretty simple exercise, something I don't think takes a lot of time or effort for these companies to do, is think about where you want to play, meaning uh, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, you know, are you writing blog articles? Are you attending trade shows? And you kind of, you create a, a legend of sorts to say, what are our, what's our goal going to be on Facebook? For instance, uh, in the context of Blue Star, Facebook really isn't where we're reaching our customers so much. You know, when Vartech rolls around every year, sure, there's some social chatter around Vartech, but it's more so an internal tool. It's an employee recruitment tool. It's an internal communication tool. And it's when we share, you know, what we're doing in the community. So, you know, YouTube is somewhere where we are sharing, you know, how-to videos. Twitter is a place that a lot of companies um, almost exclusively, they use it as a channel for customer support. So I think, again, it's, it's kind of almost like the buyer persona. You have this legend to say, this is what these channels are defined for, and some will be multi-purpose. That way, when you say, you know, we could use a new marketing manager, you know you're not going to go and spend time, um, let's just say on Facebook, you're going to go spend time on LinkedIn, because that's where you do your employee recruitment. So step one about marketing with a purpose, I think, uh, of course, you always have to know what your goal is. You know, you're not just out there writing blog articles to spread your knowledge. It is, hopefully, you're trying to uh, gain organic reach and search to drive people back to your website, and then what? And then you're trying to capture their information so you can, you know, nurture them from there. Um, Switching over to the, the sales and marketing alignment, I think this is a fantastic question. I think it is one of the most often fumbled aspects of marketing, and, and I'll be honest, I've been involved in this a countless times, whereas a lot of times marketing organizations can move quickly, but just because they can doesn't mean that they should. Uh, I think that it is important for sales teams to have context, which is a, wor a word I probably overuse in life, especially when it comes to marketing. Uh, they need to have awareness, they need to have tips on a best approach. I haven't spent a day doing what Blue Star sales guys do in my life. I've always been design and marketing guy. But, and, and so because of that, I have a little bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to giving sales advice. However, I have been you know, generating content uh, marketing type of leads for so long that I'm realizing it's not obvious to say, hey guys, Keep in mind, they downloaded an ebook. They didn't request a demo. They didn't request a quote. So if you email them or call them and say, hey, I understand you're interested in uh, you know, a warehouse management system, they're going to look at you like you're crazy and you're never going to get you know, a chance to converse with them. So when you reach out and say, hey, Tuesday you downloaded an ebook called The Warehouse Manager's Guide to Asset Tracking. My company created it and here's why. Um, would love to answer any questions you had or be a resource to you moving forward. And like we said, then you continue to stay in touch with valuable information. But that's never going to happen if sales doesn't understand exactly what the heck marketing is doing. So, again, it's, it's, a, it's a sore point for me. And sometimes, you know, not to say we always fail, but uh, very, very critical. No, that's great. Jeremy, before I turn to you and ask your uh, perspective, James, I love that's one of my favorite quotes. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's especially from a marketing standpoint in digital marketing. Just because you can change stuff every day or every hour doesn't mean you should. Just because you can throw your content up on 52 different social media sites doesn't mean you should. So you really have to focus Absolutely. on that. My other, uh, one of my favorite quotes is expect the unexpected, not the self-inflicted. But that might be for another podcast <laughs> topic. So, uh, Jeremy, uh, can you talk about connecting sales and marketing specifically inside your organization, if you don't mind sharing. 
Um, I mean, I think James talked about about some of the per perils of not having those two things aligned where marketing is going out and, and generating content or generating leads and the sales guys either aren't aware of it or aren't willing or aren't able to or don't know how to now be a secondary valuable asset, a secondary valuable resource to that client. You know, to James's point, they download the ebook on, you know, how to do warehouse management and asset management appropriately. The sales guy now should be somebody that's well-versed in that, that's calling on that customer. If that sales guy is only used to selling printers and he's the one that's calling on this person, he's not gonna be able to continue to add value and the customer's gonna shut it down right away. Um, we have a lot more in marketing understanding of who the customer is and what they're doing than the customer even knows. And so the other piece that I would say we've got to be careful of is, is unfortunately because of automation marketing and, and you know, um, marketing automation tools like HubSpot and, and others, at times you put a loaded gun into the sales guy's hands that they know so much about this prospect that you've got to be careful that you give them the couth and the understanding of how to appropriately bring up situations knowing that they've been on your website 12 times in the last six days like that that's creepy and people are going to get totally turned off <laughs> even though you know it even though you know that they are living in this portion of the content and that is where they're most you know we get it every day i just bought something this morning from amazon because i was looking at it two weeks ago and those stupid people knew that i got paid today and i'm buying that stupid thing for this person, they're brilliant like that, but just because they did that, they did it digitally and it was done via an email. But if somebody called me and said, hey, I saw that you were looking this at this two weeks ago and then you clicked on a link again 10 days ago, do you, you know, I just discounted it down to this price, do you wanna buy it? Like that creeps people out. And so you gotta be careful to not give them that loaded gun and allow them to be almost inappropriate with the customer interaction. Totally agree. Jeremy, we had a tool for quite a while um, here at Blue Star that when we generated a lead, let's just say we asked for their name, their email, their phone number, their job title, it would use usually their, their domain or their email address rather to go and scrape other information about their business, about their annual revenue, their Twitter handle. And to your point, if the people following up don't know that wasn't willfully information that was given to us, uh, it can get real awkward real quick. So great, great point, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I was telling my wife the other day, there, there was a guy that came in for an interview and he knew every one of my kids' names. He knew what I had, you know, that I had taken a four-mile run yesterday morning, like during the interview. And I'm like, dude, this is getting way too creepy. We got to stop this. I'm like, <laughs> you know, stop doing that. But I mean, we put it out there. And in the end, the data is available. And there's so much more data that 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 we can get to if done, but you've got to do it responsibly and you've got to do it in a way that that doesn't come off as, as you're being creepy, but, but that you're doing it truly going back to the value value sell. If your product is not delivering value to that customer, you shouldn't be selling it to them just because you're going to get a quick buck and get a quick sale out of it. it you're, they're not going to be a long sustaining customer. And, and in the end, our job as value added resellers and as ISVs is to develop products and deploy products that are going to add value to this customer. And so making sure that you tie those things together is a huge piece. Yeah, and I think just to emphasize a point that James made earlier, if you have content you create and it gets lead gen, so it creates a lead for you, make sure your salespeople aren't then just calling that person day after day after day after day. I've seen that before and people are like, man, this is just way too 
aggressive. Like I, all I wanted to do is read this ebook. I didn't need, you know, some salesperson calling me four times a day. Like that didn't, I, then I'm never going to engage with your content again. So yeah, don't, yeah. Uh, don't pounce on that. Uh, like some people, some people do. So we're talking about content marketing and what you do well, once you get the leads from it. Let's take it back a step and talk about um, resellers struggle to do this because they have limited resources. So how do you recommend that the VARs and ISVs who are listening to this podcast get started with marketing con uh, with content marketing without creating a ton of overhead? James, can you take that first? Sure. Uh, and this is something I've given quite a bit of thought to. I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, but in my role here at Blue Star, you know, we, um, we provide some of this assistance to VARs and ISVs. And it's not supposed to be, I know it's coming across as a thinly veiled pitch. I know there's time for that later. Uh, the reality is it is tricky. Um, most of the companies I work for, I'd say 50% of them even have a marketing coordinator. You know, some do have directors and marketing managers, but they don't often have the in the trenches folks who are doing the, you know, web content management, executing social campaigns and things like that. But when it just comes to content marketing, if I started a business tomorrow, and I wasn't the one doing it myself, I would look to leverage my staff. So I think that's my big piece of advice is chances are if you're addressing a market, it's because you have, like we've said, expertise there. Pull it out of those people. You probably don't have a bunch of great writers on staff, but you do have subject matter experts. So have them start with uh, an outline, flesh that outline out, have somebody else that does have some writing chops, add some meat to the bone. And then, because I believe that the visual Piece. And again, maybe I'm biased as a, as a guy with a design background. I think the visual piece is critical. So I think at some point, if you don't have the resources on staff, you're going to have to look for inexpensive freelance help, places like Fiverr.com or even, you know, local just out of college students or even college students that can help bring and polish that piece. Again, whether we're talking about ebooks, I'm often talking about ebooks just, just uh, for clarity, but you know, it could be blog articles, it could be informational graphics you're working on. Um, try hard to get the meat of the work done, uh, the thinking done from your staff, and then be selective and try to be smart about, you know, where you're engaging help, where you're, you know, where you're spending dollars. And just one clarification, James brought up Fiverr, that's F-I-V-E-R-R dot com, and that's where you can outsource and get uh, a lot of inexpensive stuff done. Uh, and I will say you want to make sure you check references if you're going to use a freelancer. I have some logos that we had created in the business solutions days. They said, we'll create the new business solutions logo for $20. And mm-hmm. we're like, what do we have to lose except $20? And uh, we overpaid. Though the entertainment value, <laughs> I mean, has lasted for years and years and years. I actually just shared that with uh, the graphic designer inside of the RSPM. Like, you want to see some bad logos? Here we go. I mean, they were just dreadful. Uh, so Fiverr.com and then also Upwork is one that I've used before from a freelance standpoint. And you can get folks that are either stateside or you can get uh, people from all around the world who are happy to contribute. And just like you said, James, a lot of times you can just put a lot of ideas down on paper to them and they'll be able to put something together or like I said, somebody from a graphic standpoint. Another one that I've used is 99 Designs. Um, you, yep. 99 Designs is another one that, um, you know, that, that you can say that I needed a logo, I need some artwork that, that, that matches this. Um, you know, because to James's point, people, you know, people oftentimes will get attracted to something through a thumbnail on Twitter or through an art, you know, the, the picture needs to match the content, you know, the content, there needs to be meat on the bone, but there also needs to be something graphically to be able to draw people in because you're going to draw from multiple places. So can you talk how 99design works? It's again, it's 99designs.com. 
Yeah, you just you put out you you know you you fill out a questionnaire of what you're looking for, you you submit it, and then people come back with bids to say this is what I'm going to charge you to go create this design, and then you pick somebody through what they've responded back with. So that's free to put it out there, and then in order to get them to now go into you know whatever program they design the logo, design the website, design the photograph with, they they then come back to you and say you know what and. For the most part, like when we when we redid our North Star logo, we used 99 Designs, or there's this, there's another one that we had we had played with. I don't remember if it was 99 Designs, so we ended up. But when we had our North Star logo redone, we submitted it to there and got 12 different 12 different copies of it. You know, it needed to have a compass rose. It needed to have this this font and this color. You know, we we defined all of that, and then they came back to us and and they had some that were pretty far out there that were like, whoa, that's way too forward. You know, um, and they kind of asked. You know, they asked the questions of his technology, you know, how forward is it, you know, how and and you went through that and then you kind of just work with the designer directly. Um, so it's really that's art focus and art, yeah. you know, the fiber stuff, the what I where I've used fiber is almost, you know, less less um tangible goods, I guess. And I've used fiber to to transcribe, you know, audio podcasts and things like that, where I'll take yeah. take a video copy of this and send it off to them and get an audio or when you get a get an audio transcript of uh, of one of our podcasts uh, out to text through Fiverr and some of those other apps like that. That's another way to do uh, more content as well. James, again, can you add, I'm hoping we can have some takeaways for the VARs and ISVs that they say, here's some things you can do to create content without quitting your job to become a writer. So James? Yeah, I was just going to add that uh, it's been a, a little bit since I've used Fiverr, but I know that they've recently launched a Fiverr Pro, which are pre-vetted, you know, professionals across the board. So, you know, again, I, I still think, like you said, Jim, for 20 bucks, why not see if you can find someone that's pretty talented that might be across, you know, across the world. But at the same time, if, if you don't have time to do that, which I understand, they do have kind of a pre pre-vetted community of professionals. And one of the things, I actually wrote a post about this probably five years ago for LinkedIn, which was how fantastic the mechanism of communication is in Fiverr. Um, as someone uh, who posts a gig, which is what they call, you know, offering the ability to design a website, design a logo, uh, you are held to <clears throat> time constraints, which is I will get this job done in nine days. And then Fiverr has these automated reminders, hey, you know, you're not delivering, you're, not, you're due in a day, due in two days. And then there's a, a feedback loop that's involved. There's a rating system. So it's really kind of incumbent on the, the person doing the work to do a great job if they want to continue to get work. Um, yeah, but other ways, I mean, uh, again, I, I think that if you're going to do it yourself, which is the way that I would recommend it, uh, make sure, and this is something we talked about at Vartech as well, make sure that you're really squeezing all the juice out of that fruit, meaning focus on creating great content, even if it means creating significantly less. And then Think about how, and Jim, you had a great terminology for this that, I, that I've forgotten with my fantastic content memory. Content disaggregation. Like, That's the big fancy term. Con content disaggregation. You use that phrase, people are like, man, that guy knows what he's talking about. Content that, is, that is an excellent word. And, and, and that is, in essence, taking, let's say, a long form article uh, and turning it into an ebook and then turning that into several, you know, a series of social posts or an infographic or, or a video. So what you thought about as one piece could actually end up being 10 or 12 pieces that, you know, serve you over the course of a bunch of months on, on your different channels. Well, I think I used that phrase, Jim, and I, I remember watching you write it down in, in one of my presentations as create, <laughs> create the content and exploit it often is kind of yeah, the phrase that I use. So create that content that you can now break up and, and to your point. And I also use the phrase, a lot of the content that you create, try and figure out how to make it evergreen. 
meaning I could post the same article, you know, to your to your comment, James. You could probably post that same article from five years ago again today and get the same relevance. It might need to get tweaked by, you know, a hundred words here or there because, you know, MySpace was the big thing back then and it's not now, obviously not five years ago, but, you know, um, in general, some things change, but so many of the blocking and tackling of our industry is the same. Uh, just a quick funny story is this, um, Art got gifted, Art's our CEO got gifted um, some uh, uh, sales slicks from McCaskey, which was one of NCR's competitors back in the 1900s. Um, and there's these McCaskey sales bulletins and these sales cut sheets of like salespeople. And they were, I don't know where they found them, but somebody's given it to them as a gift and they're framed in, up around the office. And you look at some of the, the selling techniques that were given to these people in 1902. Some of those same exact sales techniques exist today for our sales reps. I could pull up 80% of that content. And so with the, with the content to James's point, create really good content, but create it that is relevant you know, for almost all time, that it's principles about your business, that it's not this specific. You, know, you can still work in specifics every once in a while, but as part of your strategy, create stuff that can be used over and over and over again. At my RSPA panel, people were like, what tool are you using to do this? The tool doesn't matter. It really doesn't, whether you're using Marketo or HubSpot or, you know, it, that part doesn't matter. It's having a system that you can now exploit and continue to do these things, measure it, manage it, and then keep it going. Um, and but, but back to the content side of it, if you create content that is relevant and actionable, you will be able to reuse it multiple times over. Part of why we transcribe the podcast is, guess what? That turns into blog articles later. You know, that same content, we're going to take the podcast that I'm sitting here and I'm an audible person. I sit and talk. I don't write. But you know what? I have somebody that sits and takes that stuff, transcribes it, cuts it into pieces, and now it's one, two, or three blog articles for a 45-minute podcast recording. For the folks who are watching this uh, conversation on video, there's a podcast and audio only version that's the exact same thing, which is why we're doing this instead of, because that's the dilemma we were in at the RSPA. We said we want to do podcasts to reach that audience. We want to do videos to reach audience that consumes that. And we're like, man, we don't want to double the work. And we're like, well, on go to meeting, you can just hit record, you know, and have the video and have everybody turn on some cameras and, uh, get, you know, two birds with one stone, uh, that kind of thing. So that's why this is on both video and uh and audio formats i don't say it's because we're lazy it's a smart thing to do why start over when you when you have some content to work with so we've only got a couple minutes left i have two quick points and then two quick questions for you one is uh just an emphasis and it's like an underlying of what uh, you guys have been talking about if you want to do effective content marketing you have to have a pdr a person directly responsible. You can't say, I'm sure I'll get around to marketing at some point because you're gonna get busy. You have to assign somebody inside your organization to carve out a certain amount of time and produce a certain amount of work by a certain day. If it's whenever you get to it, you'll never ever get to it. So PDI or person directly responsible. And then also you're gonna be, I heard somebody say this at retail now, it could have been one of you two, deploy then refine, right? So test and measure, try these things, see what works, track the metrics. You're probably not going to get this 100% right out of the gate, but the more you do, the more you'll learn, the more response you get, but you have to deploy. Don't wait until it's perfect. Get some stuff out there. See what kind of feedback uh, you get. It's the old, um, was it General MacArthur quote, a uh, good plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan executed 
tomorrow. So create some content, one piece of content, get it out there, test it, and see what kind of what kind of feedback you get. Uh, so my two last two questions for you are quick. Uh, start with you, James. Can you recommend for our audience a book to read, an online resource to follow, um, and you know something that would help improve improve their uh, marketing? And feel free to take a moment here uh, to mention the resources that your company has developed before mentioning some others. So uh, talk about Blue Star sure. first, and then uh, some general resources. Sure. So um, starting with Blue Star, you know, one of the things that we believe that we do well and that differentiates us from from some of our competition is marketing. And, uh, you know, we we don't think about ourselves as an ad agency. We're not trying to make money from our customers marketing. We are trying to be that resource where you say, you know, we don't yet have that marketing person. And I say that because, um, Jim, I think maybe part of what you're getting trying to get me to say before is you probably should have you almost definitely in 2019 should have a dedicated marketing person. And I have some thoughts. Feel free to follow up with me on Twitter or via email about what that one person could look like. Um, but anyway, yes, AppWare Solutions and Varcom are our two key programs um, at Blue Star. I lead up AppWare Solutions. It is purpose built for ISVs and VARs. And if you're a VAR, bring an ISV friend with you because we really kind of center um, our messaging around the, the benefits and the features of software in most cases, not in all cases. Uh, and it is end user focused. So that's the, that's the critical piece of AppWare is we're always messaging to our partners, customers, and trying to bring them new business. We figure if we can help them uh, close new business, that it's going to help us do more business as well. And then on the Varcom side, it's traditionally been more um, VAR focused, and it isn't necessarily end user, or, or I should say VAR and ISV. And it's everything from um, reseller network uh, marketing. So if you're trying to build out a reseller network, we can help message our existing customer base and, and drum up some interest in your in your uh, software solution. Uh, they do everything from storefronts to marketing collateral and a lot of stuff in between. So those are the two key Blue Star resources. And then outside of those, um, I'm someone who concerns myself with, a, with the details a lot. Uh, maybe it's because I've been doing marketing design for, for quite some time and the big picture stuff already makes sense to me. But, you know, a lot of people avoid getting in the weeds. I live in there because I think the details make all the difference. Truly, I think they make all the difference. You know, what your call to action says, removing the navigation from a landing page to keep people's focus squarely on, you know, the task at hand, filling out your form, uh, engaging live chat, whatever it is. So along those lines, I have found a, a guy named Neil Patel who has done some incredible things for some really big businesses. He does an amazing job every time that I'm trying to find examples of incredible blog articles for my team i share neil's articles because i think they're awesome the visuals the explanation the detail he goes into you feel like you can walk away from one of his articles and go execute and then the second one is a community which is called growth hackers uh the concept of growth hack hacking has kind of become uh i don't know uh negative in some ways but the reality is it's very similar it's a whole community of people sharing similar types of insights and takes on uh different very specific marketing tactics um so those are my two neil patel and growth hackers and then if you're interested in partnering with blue star on some end user lead gen or on building out a, a reseller network for your software solution definitely get in touch with us Great, and it's just happened today, just in time for our uh, recording here, is a reseller read my RSPA blog post about Vartech and got interested in Blue Star, then went on your website, and the marketing assistance is what jumped out to them the most. They called me up and said, who can I reach out to inside of 
Blue Star. So this is how it all works, is getting people's attention and getting on, on their radar. Jeremy, can you talk about uh, the restaurant technology guys and then also some other resources you recommend? Um, well, I don't know that I recommend the restaurant technology guys. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I guess I just assumed you would, but if you don't. <laughs> it's all good. I, so our content marketing strategy started five years ago-ish um, with the restaurant technology guys, which is a blog and a podcast, which is really focused on how to implement restaurant technology into your restaurant in order to help you make more profit, you know, cut down costs, um, you know, manage your business better, attract new customers. So we've got lots of articles related to marketing, related to better business practices, related to different products that you might consider. So um, Jim is is one of our number one fans that uh, is always hitting us up on Twitter when when we're doing that. But it's a it's a blog and podcast that really gives us the opportunity to talk about the things that I talk about anyway. I talk about restaurant technology every day with our customers, with our team members, with you know uh, different vendor partners. And it's really, what are the things that are happening in that industry from third-party delivery to you know EMV and how it impacts your business to how to manage labor in your kitchen better. So that's what the Restaurant Technology Guys is. The re it's restauranttechnologyguys.com. Check us out. Um, always looking for guests to to join us on the podcast that you guys might want to to have join. Um, always looking for interesting products, so send them my way. Um, uh, yeah, Rest Tech guys on on Twitter and whatnot. So that's really our strategy, and really that turns into lead gen because now I've educated this audience into knowing that we're a trusted advisor that we can help them. And there's times that I've pointed them to other solutions other than ours because our solution didn't fit their need which the, the people were very grateful. So it's not, you know, it is somewhat of a thinly veiled idea of, of doing that, but in the end, I'm gonna do what's best for that client. So that's restaurant technology, guys. As far as items that, that, that I would, you know, blogs, podcasts, um, you know, YouTube channels that, that I would look at, we, we referred to Gary Vee earlier. Gary Vee is, is one of those people, VaynerMedia, he's got a company in New York. They work with some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, and he is, he is off the charts as far as, um, if you can get through, he's a little bit rough around the edges. If, if you listen to him, you know, he's from New York and he's, he's kind of in your face. Um, but phenomenal from that perspective. And he's got a lot of really good stuff. Um, jab, 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 right. Or jab, jab, right. Hook is, is kind of one of his books that talks about a crushing. It's another one, but Gary Vee is, is one of those people, um, his predecessor really. And, and, um, I listen to all of, um, Seth's stuff. He writes daily blog. He's written for, I don't Seth know, Godin. Seth Godin. Yeah. If you just search and search Seth in Google, his name shows up. He's got one of the most popular blogs on the web. Um, he's now started a weekly podcast called the Akimbo podcast, and he continues to, to deliver content there. Gary Vee's got a bunch of books and he also has a YouTube channel and very active YouTube channel, Instagram page, um, Facebook page, but for direct content mar marketing and building trust, those guys are all phenomenal. I'm going to give you one last resource that, that really changed the way that we did marketing and content marketing. And it's a guy named Donald Miller. And he started a group out of Nashville, Tennessee um, called StoryBrand. And they've got a workshop down in Nashville, or you can hire a StoryBrand trained person to come into your office and help you um, <clears throat> help you to, to create the content in a way. And he's got this whole theory that is phenomenal in my opinion of making your customer the hero of your story and you are their guide. 
you are their Yoda to Luke Skywalker. They are Luke Skywalker, you are Yoda. Unfortunately, in way too much marketing, we wanna be the hero of the story. We don't wanna make the customer the hero of the story. And so Donald Miller talks through the entire, you know, from the Bible to Luke Skywalker, you know, to, to, to the Star Wars series, to the Matrix, to any of those, those there's always a, a hero and there's always a guide that is taking them through it and there's always an enemy. And with that, he walks you through kind of the traditional story arc and how can marketing follow that same story arc to be able to build that trust with your customers. And so we sent our marketing manager to Nashville a couple of years back and it truly changed the way that we did marketing. Very interesting. No, very interesting. Jim, Good. I thought oh, of one last yeah. thing to mention. Oh, please. Um, HubSpot, which we've referenced a couple of times, which Jeremy, I assume it's a tool that you guys are using. It's also a tool we're using. Well, we kind of graduated to it after using a few others. Um, there's certification programs, which are 100% free online. They're on demand. There's video. There's, I believe, articles. I, I did it through video. And then there are quizzes where you actually get an official certification. They have one for email marketing. They have one for content marketing. Uh, and they've probably got, you know, eight or 10 by now, but I've done those two. And I think one other fantastic. Um, and it, it is content marketing executed to the you know nth degree, meaning they sell you on their methodology, but you are also 100% getting educated in, in the best way to do you know social selling and content marketing. So I can't recommend those highly enough. They uh, were, were really fantastic for me, and I think I completed a couple of them about two years back. So definitely check those out. Yeah, and I'll just add with this, based on what you guys were saying. So one is the um, uh, the challenger sale is a, a well-regarded book, and it talks about the concept of commercial teaching, where you are teaching your prospects and your customers about something that they can end up buying from you. You're not just saying, let me show you this shiny thing, but you're talking to them. So for example, a reseller talking about the importance of having online ordering and the importance of having secure Wi-Fi, and then, boo, I guess I need secure Wi-Fi. Well, that's what I offer, right? But it starts off with that whole value part of it. That's the, it's not just teaching, it's commercial teaching where you're trying to sell. And then the other thing is, Jeremy, you know, just listening to the restaurant technology guys, you're not on there pitching CBS all the time. Like you might mention that you guys work there or, or something like that. But the big takeaway is, and don't take this the wrong way, but you listen and you just say, well, those guys ain't dumb, right? You just listen to you guys and you're like, well, they know what they're talking about, about this industry. And when you're ready to buy, you're going to reach out to the guys who have proven that they ain't dumb uh, for lack well, of a better so To that point, and I'm, I'm not, I, I, I can't make a, a statement on whether I'm dumb or not, but, um, but I can make a statement that says we are experts in the industry that we live in. And we take for granted the things that we know inherently. To James's point earlier, you live in the marketing world. And so you know what it means to have a CTA in an email. When I said CTA to Jim, he's like, what is a CTA? You and I can talk marketing and, and that means something. And a CTA that has multiple parts and, and we, we, again, we know what that looks like. That's the inside language that we often use when we're talking to our customers, that StoryBrand really tries to dissect that, that says, just because it's inside language for you doesn't mean that the customer thinks that way. And so the restaurant technology guys is all about that. We think that that putting in a kitchen automation system is just what you should be doing because McDonald's did it back in the 80s. But the truth is restaurants don't understand what that looks like from going from paper tickets to a kitchen video system and how it can change their life. We live that every day. But now how do I get excited about that to share that with this audience to tell them this is the way that things work. And in the end, 
we underestimate all of our own inside knowledge and our inside wording and the ways that we talk about things because we're on the inside that our customers aren't and way too often our marketing content is all of that and so the restaurant technology guys is really to take that take that top layer away that just says don't use insider language use regular english to talk to people about the things that they are excited about or they need to know about Sorry, yep. I know I, no, I go good. off on these rants, but I think <laughs> way too often we underestimate these things. I've got team members outside of my door here that just came into this industry seven days ago. I've been doing this for 20 some years. So when I talk about stuff, I just know these things. You know, like I said, I don't know whether I'm dumb or not, but I can tell you that I know things about the, about what has happened in our industry. And all too often I get privileged and I get access to information that not everybody has so share that information be generous with your energy be generous with the content that you're putting out there and amazingly people will reward you with things that have dead presidents on them eventually as you continue to put that stuff out there yep very good thank you my last question for you is super quick james you first from uh one percent chance to a hundred percent chance what are the chances that I'll see at retail now, uh, August 2nd through 5th in Las Vegas? 100% chance I will be in Vegas with you guys. Can't wait. Beautiful. Jeremy, how would you answer that question? Uh, so you know better. Unless uh, unless something catastrophic happens on the home front, I will be there. Um, I missed this past board meeting, and uh, I, I have not heard the end of it. So people gave me crap that I missed the board meeting. So I will be there uh, with bells on. All right, great. So two uh, hundred percenters. I went to a, a small Christian high school and everybody would give an answer and then they would say, Lord willing. That was always a thing. Well, I'm going to do this. Well, Lord willing, uh, if I'm able to do that. So, well, that wraps up our discussion today. We hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point of sale channel, that's our avatar, uh, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then by clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again to James and Jeremy for sharing their wisdom with us today. And thanks also to RSPA Marcom manager, Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.